The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, we have a wonderful show. It's about managing conflict for businesses. And we have talked about all sorts of different types of conflict. And this is going to be just fabulous because we have an incredible guest coming to us from beautiful Colorado. Let me tell you a little bit about Paula Langeth Ryan, who is a conflict resolution consultant dedicated to helping business leaders break through to new levels of confidence, peace, abundance, conflict management, and all good in areas in all of their areas of life. And, um, Paula is a certified spiritual transformation mediator who believes that like most bank heists, outer peace is always an inside job. She is chair of the spirituality section for the Association of Conflict Resolution, a past member of Mediators Beyond Borders, and the founder of the Village Gathering, an NGO which helps support Kenyans who are engaged in creating sustainable conflict resolution strategies. I am especially excited to have her on because I am a member of the Association for Conflict of Conflict Resolution, and I am also a member of that section, and I am just so pleased that she's doing the great work and the leadership that she's doing. So thank you so much, Paula, for joining us. Thank you, Mari, for having me on. That was a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I should give your website, too. Why don't you just give that right now so people can look if they're listening while they're watching the computer? Oh, well, paulalangethryan.com is the best way to, to reach my work. Okay, very good. So let's talk a little bit about why you believe that con- the key to healing conflict is really an inside job. Well, mostly because... If we keep focusing on the thing out there that's causing the problem and wanting it to change and go away, then we're always a victim. You know, because if it doesn't change and go away or somebody just says, well, no, I'm not going to do it that way, you know, there's no recourse. And, and it's so true that all of our conflict really comes from inside of us. Like, you know, if, if you're feeling agitated, no one makes you agitated, you know, or if you're feeling angry or you're feeling frustrated, no one can make us unless we allow it. Oh, yeah. If you, you give your power away to someone, then, of course, it's going to feel like they made you mad or, they're, you know. Yeah. So, you know, some people say, oh, you made, like you just said, you make me mad or, oh, that person made me so frustrated. Well, no, there are. Why is it there's some people who can be in the same situation 
and not react, but rather wait and respond. And there are other people that immediately have a knee-jerk reaction. Well, because it comes down to the fact that you're never upset for the reason you think you are. (laughs) (laughs) The person that's tweaking you, it's not them that's tweaking you. It's something your mother or a boss 20 years ago did or said. You know, that's what's tweaking you is, is remembering some old situation, some old wound. I know, and you probably have experienced this too. You're sitting in a mediation as the mediator, and then, you know, the people are conversing and talking, and you're helping to facilitate, and all of a sudden somebody says something that seems totally benign, right? You yes. think everything is fine, and the other person turns into this, like, total monster. You see their face get red. You see them look like their whole body tenses up, and you think, what happened here? Yeah, you, you, know, you immediately I, recognize, okay, I just missed some trigger somewhere. Yes. Yeah. What button got pushed with you? I don't get it. I, I'm Somehow I'm oblivious. Help me understand what's going on here. But, th- you know, that happens, and it's just kind of shocking to me because it seems like the other person said something that really wasn't anything big. No, and it's really interesting in a business setting, especially to, you know, as a transformational mediator, to say, hold, hold on a second, time out here. Yeah. You know, that thing that was just said seems to have really upset you. And in context, doesn't seem very upsetting. So why don't you explain to me what just happened to you? Yes, yes. And that, that helps you as the mediator. And it also helps them to recognize what is really going on within, with inside of them. Oh, yeah, recognize and own it to be able to, and to verbalize it and say, okay, this is the fear that just came up for me. This is the trigger that just came up. This is the old button that just got massively pushed. Right. I have this wonderful cartoon. I should really send it to you. It's so funny. It's these two people sitting in a counseling office, and the two people are really not people. They're two uh, robots, and they've got buttons all over them. And and so the therapist says to the to them, well, you really know how to push each other's buttons. <laughs> nice. Excellent. It's so cute. <laughs> just, you know, I cut it out, and I give it out in my mediations because that's, that's, you know, we're – we're sitting there as we don't have the emotional um, experience that they have. So we, we have to ask them, what is going on here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we need to know. And they don't usually know. Right. And just asking them, what, what is this all about, makes them really think. And, and sometimes it takes them a while to figure it out. Yeah, to recognize, okay, I'm not really upset at you for missing a deadline. I'm upset with the fact that my mother was always late to everything. Right. You know, sometimes <laughs> you just reminded me of my mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's a tough one. So let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. So if someone says to you, you know, how can I heal a conflict if other people are refusing to change their behavior or even come to the table? What do you tell them? Well, it's really interesting because I would say probably 90% of my business as a mediator is what we call single-party mediation. I have corporations that are on retainer with me where anyone on their staff can call me up and say, okay, um, my boss just did this or my coworker just stole my idea and mm-hmm. they're you know, a complete narcissist and they're never going to change. How do I get to be okay with that? You know, how do I react to that without blowing a gasket? Right. Or how do, how, do I, how do I deal with that without getting fired? <laughs> exactly, yeah. How do I confront my boss without pissing him off completely? Right, right. And the, the skill I give them is, First, figure out what is it you want, you know, to be able to say, hey, you know, I noticed that in that meeting when we presented the idea and the big boss said that that was a great idea, John, you forgot to mention that it was both of us that came up with the idea. And 
you know, I'd really appreciate it in the future if you would, you know, recognize that both of us have done it. Well, the other person may not think that that's a big deal, or they may think they did the majority of the work, so therefore it should be their credit kind of thing. When you can recognize, you know, this is what I want, and it's okay if you don't give it to me. It's okay if you don't give me the acknowledgement. But as long as I've spoken my truth about it, then I can release it because now it's no longer my problem. It's your problem if you're going to be a complete dork about it. Right, right. But sometimes, you know, they're even afraid to do that because they're afraid that they're going to get some kind of a negative reaction like, oh, boy, what a crybaby or what a whiner. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's when we get to heal the inner part of them that right. sees that and judges that in other people. <laughs> oh, I know. I have I, I teach uh, negotiations here at UCI and um, we were doing some role plays and then one guy who's a manager uh, said to me um, that he had a situation in which his manager actually rammed into his car in the parking lot and he he mentioned it to him like oh you know you rammed my car and he goes oh and he never offered to pay or anything. And, it, and he had a... Yeah, that indirect conversation. <laughs> oh, you ran my car. Like, oh, okay, there's supposed to be something I'm supposed to respond to about that? Oh, yeah, uh-huh, I did. <laughs> See ya, bye. And then, you know, and then he is meticulous with his cars, which was really tough on him. And he, and he got an estimate for $500. And, um, and I said, so what did you do? Did you, you know, after he said, oh, yeah, or something, oh, really? You know, I didn't realize I did that. I said, did you bring him a copy of what it was going to cost you to fix it? He said, no. He said, you know, sometimes, and we talked about this, sometimes you have to let things go mm. because he, he what, didn't want to jeopardize his job. He just didn't want to do it. And we talked about when do you gently confront and when don't you con- confront and what do you do about it and how do you, if you can let go of that resentment. But if you don't let go of that resentment, it's going to come out insidiously. Right, yeah. And are you letting go... Because you're truly avoiding conflict? Yes, <laughs> or yes. are you letting go because it's really not that big of a deal? Well, it's funny because that's, that's uh, what he's going to do for his final is do a video where he's redoing that, where his partner is going to be him and he's going to be the manager. So, <laughs> But I know, you know, I mean, in the workplace, you have a lot to consider. You know, whether you bring up this, when it's a relationship, it's it's scary too, though. People are afraid that it's going to destroy a relationship. Oh, absolutely. But in the workplace, especially because there's so, I mean, some relationships have that financial entanglement too, where, you know, you're afraid of losing a certain economic level or whatever if if a relationship ends because of you addressing a conflict. But in a work situation, especially in today's economic climate, especially in today's economic climate in California, yes, yes, you know, speaking up when there's a conflict, when your fear is, if I say something, I'm going to lose my job. Right. You know, I, I have worked with a lot of people who have very, I will call them aggressive bosses. Yes. Who might demand things or demand certain time commitments that are out of the ordinary. And I have clients who were terrified to speak up and say, hey, you know what? You know, if I stay late and work on that, my kids are in daycare and it's going to cost me an extra hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, and you're going to be paying me 40 bucks. Yeah. So unless you can give me, you know, some advance notice, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. You know, but the fear is if I do that, I'm going to lose my job. Exactly. So and, and that's kind of how he felt. Yeah. So, you know, so we talked about what the other options were. So I'll be excited to see what the, uh, what the video turns out like. Yeah, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I, I am so thrilled with this Ryan's Rules of Order for Business Leaders. Kind of what can we go through this? Because I think these are just wonderful. You have some um, 
rules that people should to live by in, in the workplace. So I can do. we go over them? Sure, absolutely. Okay, go ahead. You're so welcome. nice and easy, there's seven of them, and, and especially for folks that have to deal with that whole parliamentary meeting stuff of Robert's Rules of Order, we like these much better. They're called Ryan's Rules of Order. <laughs> and they're yours. <laughs> <laughs> and they're mine. So there's seven of them. The first and foremost, you must be personally dedicated to holding the highest consciousness for the entire company and all your current and potential clients, no matter what any outward appearance may be. Okay, so so I understand what that means, but I'm wondering if everybody listening really understands what you mean by the highest consciousness. What I mean is always seeing the best, always making that assumption, for example, that the customer is right, and clearly there must be a misunderstanding, which is why they're screaming at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, not because they're, you know, idiot customers or something. It's, it's recognizing that this is, you know, these are awesome clients and we have awesome products and we're trying to match them up together and have everybody have a wonderful experience, no matter what that outward appearance is. And it's just an outward appearance. Just, it's perception. Yes, yep. yes. And, and perceptions, everybody's got a different perception. So, yeah. The second one. The second one's a nice and easy one. Way easy, especially for business folks, especially guys. You must own, recognize, embrace, and verbalize your fears. Yes. I had a guy once in a, in a board meeting whose fear about being in leadership was that people would judge him. And I remember him getting up away from the table and backing up so that his back was up against a wall because it was so hard for him to even verbalize that fear. Yes. Yeah. And, and I love the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false expectation appearing real. Mm-hmm. And that, because that's what fear is. I mean, obviously, if somebody's coming at you with a knife, <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not the same thing about physical fear. But, but, but the question you, is, are they actually coming at you with a knife or are they going for the big bear that's behind you? Exactly. You exactly. Know? But, you know, I mean, that, that at least when there's some threat of physical violence, that's that's a realistic fear. But... When there's a fear of speaking up for yourself, that's that's one that is definitely a false expectation. Depending on how you how you deal with it, obviously, if you don't know how to deal with your with a gentle confrontation, it it will escalate the conflict. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's what brings us to number three because yes. it's how you handle the fear that's so important. So go ahead. You must be willing to speak your microscopic truth, and I'll explain that. With kindness, compassion, dignity, and love. I love it. And by microscopic truth, I mean being able to own, wow, you know, when that incident just happened in the meeting where you kind of yelled at me, or it seemed like you yelled at me for missing that deadline, you know, my heart started racing, my breathing got really shallow, you know, I just basically wanted to bolt. Yes. And then explain what the fear is behind it. Yes. You know, owning your truth. Yes. And and saying it rather than the you messages, except for like you, you explained it when you did this, I felt this, Yeah, you know, because sometimes people say, well, you just embarrassed the hell out of me, <laughs> you know, you just totally destroyed me in front of everybody. Well, that's one way or just say, oh, gosh, when you said that, I was just devastated. I just, I felt really diminished and I was really uncomfortable. I don't know. Help me understand why you said it that way or something like that. Yeah, because otherwise they get defensive. You're attacking them and what they did as opposed to no one's going to refute the fact that you felt embarrassed. Exactly. 
Or, or you felt uncomfortable. That's another yeah. easy one. If you just say, I was so uncomfortable. Well, how, how can somebody refute that or, or get mad at you or attack you for feeling uncomfortable? Well, there are times when people will say, oh, you didn't feel that way. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they want to discount, you know, discount that because maybe they're embarrassed or, or maybe they just don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number four. Number four, you must assume that everyone is doing the best they can at this and every moment. Yes. That's a toughie. Yes. Because we have expectations for people. Yes. It's and, like, you know, if I have a head cold, yeah. my best radio interview is going to be completely different than when I don't. Right. And, and sometimes, you know, that gets back to even expect knowing for ourselves. We must assume that even we are doing the best. Everyone. Otherwise, we beat ourselves up, that's right? That's right. Yeah. Everyone. And, and I, that's, that's another one I always use is, you know what? If the person did something to you that was hurtful, they they did the best they could with the tools that they had. But if they have different tools, then they could do things differently. You know, so that's that's part of the issue of, yeah. you know, hopefully helping other people to to acquire these tools so that you can get over this. And that's why they'd hire you or me to come in and show them and give them those tools. That's right. And, and you know, we both have great senses of humor because my <laughs> motto when I go into a place is, look, if we can't resolve this, I'll just bang your heads together and we'll be done. You know, <laughs> that uh, you usually know, gets their attention right there. Oh, uh, you know, this is this was my dream. We have a boat in Dana Point, but I wanted a really big boat. And I said that I would do all my mediations and take people out, have my husband, my captain, drive out into the ocean, you know, about three miles off, and then I'd say, okay, you settle, or I'm throwing you to the sharks. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love it. I know. That was my dream, but we, we didn't That's really right. do that. <laughs> we either resolve this, or you get eaten by sharks. I don't That's care That's right. Either that, or I just throw you. Swim back. That's right. You <laughs> swim. <laughs> okay. How about the next one? Number five, you must assume that everything that is occurring is for the highest good of everyone and the company, whether or not you see how it is for the highest good at the moment, because what happens is we make judgments of what's happening, we do that whole, oh, this is horrible, or oh, this is good. But if you just assume that everything that's happening is happening for the good, even if, you, you know, down the road you can't say, look at Mary Manning Morrissey. You know, she, she was a, you know, mega minister in Oregon, you know, lost everything, owes investors like $10 million, her ex-husband served time, you know, and she's rebuilding her life. Yes. You know, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, it was just what was supposed to happen for her to move into this next phase of her life. So yeah, that's, recognizing that in a business context, right? And and everything in life, everything yeah. happens for a reason, and we may not see it for years. I would never have gotten into debt negotiation if I hadn't gone bankrupt at the age of twenty-one and written a book about it. Yeah, and I would never have become an identity theft expert had not a woman stolen my identity back in nineteen ninety-six. Just like being able to go up to that person and go, "Thank you so much for doing that." I know, I know, and and the people who are most challenging in our lives are really our best teachers. Oh my! I thank people all the time, especially when they point something out that tweaks me. Yes. Because if it tweaks me, clearly there has to be a kernel of truth in it somewhere. And I'm a Leo. I hate to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can go, okay, let me look at, thank you so much for pointing that out. I'm going to go take that and look at it and see what's real for me. Yes. Yes, exactly. And if someone says something, and this is what we, you know, in my class, I teach this. If somebody, you know, attacks you at work, you just say, you know what, that, that's helpful information that you're saying this, I, I don't see it that way, but tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Because then, once they tell you more, they start to reveal what's really going on. 
and then they sometimes can say, gee, well, I didn't really mean it exactly like this. Right, you, yeah. You know, you, you, you never do this. I use it with my husband all the time. So, <laughs> so, okay, so what do you mean I never do this, you know? Right. I always do this. You know, what does that mean? What, it means know? more than I'm comfortable with or less than I want. <laughs> Even if you only do it once, it's always. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, number six. Number six. This is a biggie for a lot of people. You must assume everyone is operating from a position of love or goodness, never from a position of malintent, even if that love or goodness is obscured by fear. And that one's a hard one. When it's you think about it, it, it's a hard one when you hear these horrible things that someone maims and kills children or the, the 9-11 terrorists mm-hmm. or all these different things. It's very hard to see that they're doing the best they can, unless you say they're doing the best you, that they can with the tools that they have, and they are obviously missing a bunch of tools. Well, <laughs> when you look at, you know, when people are coming from, like, let's use the 9-11 terrorists as an example, okay? Our whole thing was, you know, they did this horrible, horrible thing. You know, malintent was intended. When the truth was, they were acting out of love for their culture and what they thought was being threatened. Yes, and when you recognize that the love was simply obscured by fear. I do, do a lot of work with boards, and I give them index cards, those fabulous fluorescent index cards. Uh-huh. And on one side, they have to write the word love, and on the other side, they have to write the word fear. Right. And as they're in the meeting all day long, all weekend long with me, they have to hold out when they're speaking. If they're coming from a place of fear, mm. or they're defending themselves, or they're attacking someone else's you know, conversation, they have to hold it out with the fear facing outward. Interesting. And everyone else, when that person's talking, has to extend love to them so that they can see the fear reflected back at them from their own card. That's interesting. And they're willing to actually hold the fear out there? Oh, yeah. Oh, they, well, that's good. That's I mean, good. people have used it for, for um, salary negotiations. They'll go into the salary negotiation with their boss, and it, both of them will have their cards. <laughs> so they reckon, okay, they're not saying I'm not valuable. He's, you know, saying that there's no money in the budget for that right now. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but my fear is you're saying I'm not valuable. Right, right. Well, that's like Marianne Williamson says, everything is either fear or love. Yeah. You know, and the Return Course in Miracles. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. And, and people find that hard to believe, you know, and, and also they don't really recognize love as the universal love. And, and it is that, that, that oneness that we have with everyone. They just kind of don't understand what we mean by love or fear because our society doesn't want to admit that there's fear. And love, oh, well, love is, you know, when you get married. (laughs) Right. So it's it's the the wording and the verbiage that we're using may seem kind of foreign to some of the people who are driving by that are going on their way to work. But we just need, you need to understand we're talking about this kind of universal love of understanding and, and mutual respect and mutual dignity and accepting people and honoring people. So, and it's seeing the good in people. It's, it's, it's being and Frank for that moment. Yes. It's recognizing, I don't care what's going on out there. I yes. believe that people are basically good. Not that people are basically greedy. You know, I had a friend post on Facebook a while back saying, you know, now I remember all the things I don't like about corporate America. And I immediately shot back and said, now take as much time to remember all the things you do like about corporate America. Yes. And about four hours later, she wrote back and she said, I love corporate America. (laughs) Because, you know, when you think about it, you know, it's the car you drive, unless it's a foreign car, made in America, corporate America. You know, the furniture you're sitting on, the cabinets, the appliances, you know, 
everything. And and the people being able to work and pay taxes. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if there if there is no corporate America, then the unfortunate thing is that there's nobody working. You know, yeah. I mean, but yes. there's no phone service. Right. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. Right. You know, it's all corporate America. Right. And you know, that's that's kind of a a way of thinking that we can people forget that they can choose to be positive or they can choose to be negative. You know, the glass half full versus the glass half empty type of thing. Or or my personal philosophy, the glass full to overflowing because even if you only have a quarter of an inch of water in the glass, yeah. The rest of it's air and it's full to overflowing. Yeah. Yeah, but but not everybody thinks like that. I mean, obviously, you and I are on a similar wavelength. We believe that people are basically good. We believe that that life is good and all that. And but it is a mindset. Yes. And you have to. You can change your thinking, and it it is time to do that. (laughs) And that's that looks like what your right. You know your rules of of business for a business leader is to think in that positive mode, to think about the good, to think about the, uh, the best outcome from everyone, because that is what's going to create a, a better relationship with everybody there. Absolutely. It minimizes and dissolves conflict like nothing else. Exactly. So let's do the seventh one. So the seventh one is easy. You must remember that everything is unfolding in perfect timing. So stop trying to fix the past or project the future. Just be present to this moment. And, you know, that's not so easy. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people... Yoda said it best. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. no try. Yes, right. Very easy. I know. It, it's, it's so easy that it's hard. That's you know? right. <laughs> we, mean... make it, we, we like to make it complicated. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, I force myself because I'm really trying to be present in each and every moment. And it's so hard to do, Paula. I'll, I'll tell you what I do when I walk my dog at, you know, 6.30 or 7 in the morning and I go out and I look at the trees and I say, thank you, trees. You know, and I, I look at everything around and really look at the, the sky and the clouds and the palm trees in the, you know, all of that. I truly try and look at that so that I am in the moment and not just thinking about what I have to do the rest of the day when I'm walking the dog. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to be fully present. And, and that is something that I think we all have to work on in this day and age where we're so distracted by all the information age and all the craziness and all the, you know, you, you got your smartphone and you're constantly texting or emailing or doing all these things, it totally distracts us from being in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you, um, is there any conflict that can't be healed? Hmm. No, I think every conflict can be healed. It just depends on your expectation or definition of healing. Because sometimes a conflict is simply agreeing to disagree. And sometimes conflict is agreeing to just say, okay, we can either make this work or, you know what, in a, in a very positive way, we can let it go. Yeah, because I've, had, I've had businesses dissolve where as partners, they just walk away recognizing, okay, this served its purpose. It, it was what it was supposed to be, and now it's time for us to go our separate ways and not have to. It's kind of like teenagers when they leave home. Yes. They pick a fight so they won't miss you so much. Right. I'm right. pretty sure that most, the majority of conflicts where people are separating in some way, businesses or, or relationships, we, we pick a fight so that we won't miss them. Yes. But th- of course, that's, that's a fallacy because then you do miss them. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are out of time, Paula. You are so wonderful. That went so quickly. 
We've been speaking with Paula Lang with Ryan. Paula, we will have you back again, and I and I hope I get to meet you in the very near future. Oh, I'm sure we will at some conference coming up soon. Very good. Well, thank you so much, and we'll have you back again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Please visit our website at conflicthealing.com and let us know about what you're concerned about with conflict in your own life and what suggestions you have for making changes to make a more peaceful, loving world. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.